the seventh chapter, the book of Luke. There's a Bible in front of you. If you didn't bring one, you'll find uh, Luke 7 on page 1188. You'll definitely want to follow along with us this morning as we will look at one of the most often overlooked stories in all the New Testament. Um, not exactly sure why this uh, passage of Scripture has ministered to my heart all week. I'm very excited about what God has to show us here this morning. Uh, but of all the stories of, of resurrection, this is definitely the least talked about instance where Jesus raised someone from the dead. I want us to look in Luke chapter 7. Let's begin reading this morning in verse 11. The Bible says, Now it happened... The day after that he, Jesus, went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, it was a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion upon her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And Jesus presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen up among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Pray with me. Father, we pray right now. That, Lord, if there's anyone in this room, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who cannot say this morning, this is my Jesus, my personal Jesus that we read about today, that we just sang my Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will show them through this passage of Scripture why it is that not only are you the only way, but God, there's no reason to ever look for, want, or desire any other way but You. Lord, show us this morning what an amazing Savior You are. God, save the lost this morning. Encourage the brokenhearted. And Lord, may we all rejoice in this place because of what You have done. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want you to see some things about Jesus this morning as our Savior. And this particular passage of Scripture, as I've already said, is so often overlooked because maybe because we don't get uh, the details that we do about Lazarus. Maybe it's not as dramatic as John chapter 11 where Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and, and we, we read in Scripture that he stinketh and we get excited about what's going on and the grave clothes falling off. And here we just get this account. As Luke, the gospel writer, just recounts, led by the Holy Spirit, of this instance in time that is encapsulated in Scripture forever for a purpose and a reason. And I pray that if you will follow with me this morning, you will begin to see why I believe God has placed this story in Scripture for all time for us to know and to behold the glory of our Savior within it. First, I want you to see that Jesus is a deliberate Savior, that He's very deliberate in what He does. There's no passage of Scripture where God does something for nothing, that everything is done for a specific reason, for 
for a specific purpose. And oftentimes, I personally love digging through the Bible and I love to see and wonder why, God, why are you showing me this? Why is this here? What is this for? I love to do that. And I pray that you'll see how deliberate the Savior is this morning. Verse 11 says, Now it happened the day after. Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount. He's traveled about a day's journey from Capernaum. And he's come to this little wasteland, this little town called Nain. This is a nowheresville. There's no one here of any significance, importance. This is just a small country town that Jesus has specifically traveled to. Undoubtedly, this is at the end of a long day's journey and the shadows are long and feet are weary and a crowd of people are following him, his disciples and many others. Verse 12 says that when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother, she was a widow and there was a large crowd from the city with her. Now, let's talk about this woman for a moment. First of all, we can see that this is a lady who has definitely had her share of suffering. Because not only is she a single parent, she's a widow, and now she is at the funeral of her only son. And so... We could just begin by thinking, for example, some of you here this morning are single parents. And my hat goes is off to you. I was raised by a single parent. It's very difficult to be a single parent, to try to be a mother and a father to a child. And this woman in this culture is, is, is a single parent. But this is a very excruciating culture in which to be a single parent in. Because first of all, to be a single mom, women had no rights in this culture. This first century culture was difficult for women who were married and who had children, much less for one who was single. And on top of that, she only has one son and now this son is dead. So the questions that I begin to ask are, who's going to chop wood for the fire to keep warm in the summer? Who's going to make sure that there's there's plenty of wood for all the cooking needs that are going to have to happen? Who's going to be there to look after her when uh, someone seeks to do her harm? Who's going to be there to protect her, to watch over her, to care for her? Who's going to go out and and slaughter animals or raise and tend to the animals? In other words, there's no grocery stores, folks. You can't just run down to Walmart in the first century and fill up your basket full of food. There's no police force. There's no 911. What do you do in the first century as a single mom when you need help? When, when someone is, is, is seeking to hurt you or steal from you or rob you or take your land? Who do you turn to? What's there for you? This is a very difficult culture. And the only hope a widow would have is that she would have a son. And that that son would grow up big and strong and that he would care for her and that he would watch over her and that he would look after her needs and her protection and her provision. But this widow has lost everything. This widow is facing excruciating odds and they're all stacked against her. Jesus shows up. Not at some random time, but at the perfect time. He shows up at this seemingly random town 
at a seemingly random time. And we get the blessing of being able to watch this amazing story unfold right before us. He knows where the brokenhearted are. Listen, this woman is just is, is walking with the funeral procession. She's brokenhearted. Her entire life has fallen down around her. You could not imagine feeling any more alone than this woman feels at this moment. And here's the amazing thing. This deliberate Savior that we come to worship, the one that we sing to, this Savior seeks out this woman in this town at this moment. You see, you may be here this morning and you're suffering and you're hurting. And the question you may be asking is, does Jesus know that? And I want you to see that the answer to that is absolutely, positively, yes, He does. He knows where the brokenhearted are. He knows where you live. He knows why you're hurting. He knows your circumstances. He knows your situation. He knows everything there is to know about you. And He's shown up on the scene at just the right moment. We see also in verse 12, the Bible tells us there's a large crowd with her. Undoubtedly, there's mourners. In Old Testament times, they're they're, uh, taught that there's to be mourners at the funeral. So there, there are people who come and mourn. But the Bible also teaches that when a widow, if she's to lose a child, that the mourning is to be extra loud. It's to be extra zealous. That, that they, there's, there's great grief in that situation. The loss of a child is really, it's the greatest fear of every parent. Some of you here know the unbelievable pain and agony of having to, to suffer through the loss of a child. And here we find this woman in this crowd of people with all this noise and all this commotion. And yet, here's what I can undoubtedly see. She is utterly alone. You see, you can come and sit in a facility this big, surrounded by all these people, and yet you can feel utterly and completely alone in the midst of all these people. Because here's here's the reality. The reality is, is that as all these people sort of are walking in this procession and as there's all this commotion going and there's all this noise and all these things happening in the depth of her spirit, here's what she knows. She knows that tomorrow morning she's going to be by herself, that all these people are going to be gone. See, just like you, maybe you come and sit in church and you think, well, here's all these people and and they say they care about me and they have something that I wish I had. But tomorrow's Monday and Monday they won't be here. See? And Jesus understands that. He understands that sometimes our, our, our broken hearts make us feel totally alone. You see, because we we begin to to, to think to ourselves, well, I, I just I just don't know. I don't know if if people would understand my struggle and my and my hurting, and I don't know if they would understand the the pain and the agony that I that I feel. But little does this woman know that the King of the universe has shown up on the scene. And there He is at the gates of the city as He's watching this procession come by. And in the midst of all the doom and gloom, watch what Jesus does. This deliberate Savior who never does anything for nothing. 
Verse 13. We see Jesus as the compassionate Savior. When the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her. And He said to her, do not weep. Weep. This word, compassion, this is the strongest, most complex word in the Greek language to express compassion. This means to inwardly groan from your, from your lungs and from your guts. This is to feel a pity to the point of grief. This word is used when Jesus, as the, as the compassionate, loving shepherd, speaks of a people who have turned their back upon him. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus is teaching in the synagogues. He's healing all the, the sick in the community. But when he saw the multitudes, the Bible says, he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were scattered like sheep with no shepherd. In other words, it broke his heart. When he saw this woman, it broke his heart. This isn't that he, he cared for her. He looked at her and he thought, oh, isn't that sad? No, his heart broke for this woman in her situation. His heart broke when he saw people wandering about like sheep without a shepherd. And he realized why? Because he knows what could be. He knows what should be. He knows what ought to be. He knows who he is and why he's come. And the idea, the very idea that there would be humanity upon earth who would be in the presence of God, who would hear the gospel message and turn their back on it and walk away lost and condemned is utterly unbelievable to Jesus. Because he knows how great the salvation is that he comes to bring. And so this is the kind of compassion that he feels. But he doesn't just feel compassion. Well, look at what he does. He feels compassion for her, but then he, he speaks to her. He says to her, don't cry. Don't weep. You see, he's not scolding her for crying. He's not saying you ought not cry. He's saying, stop crying. I'm here. I'm here. It's okay now. Everything's going to be all right. Jesus is here. You see, He doesn't just... This is important, church. He doesn't just feel compassion. He doesn't just have a broken heart inwardly. He speaks loving kindness to the brokenhearted. Now, let's just stop here for a minute and think about this lesson that's there for us. See... What do we do? What do we do? How do we respond to the hurting and the brokenhearted? You see, we, do we go to them? Do we go to them? Do we show them love? Do we speak to them compassion? Jesus is very deliberate about what He does. And He's giving us a blueprint for how to respond to one another when we find each other in difficult circumstances. Listen, one of the strengths of this congregation is how great a job you do at loving one another. You do a great job of caring for each other and loving each other. But too many times believers fall short. Believers have this horrible tendency to think, well, they probably need some time alone. They probably don't want to be bothered. Yeah, they probably have 
Seven or eight people in the hospital room with them. They don't need another one up there. They've probably got plenty of meals frozen in the freezer. They don't need another meal. What they need is to be alone. What they need is to be quiet. What they need is to be by themselves. And we overestimate what we think other people need in their time of need. And here's the truth. In all the hundreds and hundreds of hospital rooms that I've sat in, in all the funerals, in all the despair, in all the brokenheartedness. Listen, the pastor's phone doesn't ring all the time for, hey, great sermon. It's, hey, I need you. I need help. I'm hurting. My family's broken. There's a car wreck. There's a sickness. There's something going wrong. And no one's ever told me, well, the church was so great, they didn't do anything. No one ever said that. No one ever said what mattered to me was everyone stayed away and let me heal by myself. No one's ever told me that. You know what I hear? I hear how you pour into hospital rooms and how you pour meals upon people when they're hurting and how you rally to them when they're suffering. That's the model Jesus makes for you and me. Do not overestimate what other people are doing and find yourself excusing away Even when you have a broken heart, deliberately doing something. And when you get there, by the way, say something. Walk in and say, I'm here because I love you. That's it. You don't have to have some great theological dissertation. You don't have to come in there with an answer to all their problems. You just come in and say, I'm here because I love you. That's it. And just sit down and watch God work. But listen. Don't overestimate what other people are doing. Don't overestimate what the pastor and the staff are doing. Look around the room. There's way more people in here than I can keep up with. You, church, you do a great job at this. And we need to get better and better and better. Because Jesus seeks out the brokenhearted and He has compassion upon them and He deliberately speaks word of comfort to them and that's exactly what we are to do because who are the hands and feet of Jesus today? We are. The church is. That's our job, our privilege, and our honor. And so continue. I implore you to continue to strive at being excellent in this area. You see... Maybe today, even in this place, someone has come to church this morning and they are hurting in such a way that they cannot even express it. Maybe you have carried a burden into this place that you've been carrying for a long time and you have been unable to speak it to anyone. Maybe because you just think there's no way they're going to understand it. Maybe it's because there's no way that you can formulate it into words to make it even sound coherent. And so you just carry it around. And, and, and it just wrestles in your heart, in your quietness, in your stillness. And it just grows there like a burden. And it just, like a tumor inside you. And you, everywhere you go, this hurt and this pain and this suffering. And, and, and you keep pushing yourself to smile and to pretend like everything's okay. But inside you are suffering. Maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe today for the first time you will recognize Jesus understands. He understands your pain. He understands your hurt. He understands your suffering. And His heart goes out. It breaks. He groans inwardly with compassion 
at your suffering and my suffering. How do I know that? That just I want you to look. Look at verse 13. Look closely at what the Bible says. Notice in verse 13. When the Lord saw, underline saved people, her. When the Lord saw her. Not when He saw the whole team of people. Not when He saw the hearse tearing the body. Not when He saw all the crowd of mourners. But when He saw her, He had compassion on her. In other words, Jesus pinpointed the broken-hearted person in all the commotion. He knew exactly who it was. You see, Jesus isn't looking this morning at this multitude of faces that I see. He knows exactly what each individual is suffering and struggling with. He knows everything about you. He had compassion on her. He looked at her. It was a very deliberate, specific compassion that he pointed directly at this broken-hearted, hopeless woman. What an amazing God we serve. He's deliberate in all that He does. He's compassionate beyond my ability to explain. But all of this would be of little comfort. If He was just a man, if He was just a prophet, then who cares? But you see, the third thing I want you to see is that Jesus is a preeminent Savior. He's over all things. He is the firstborn. He is the authority. His power trumps all other powers. He is the top. The number one. He beats all odds. There is nothing too difficult for Him. This is not some some prophet of God who's dependent on other means. This is not some good word of truth. This is not some just deliberate action by one person to show justice to another person. This is a preeminent Savior who steps in with the ability and the authority to change every circumstance and situation according to His will and purpose. That is a critical truth to understand. We didn't come here to to celebrate some weak, dead Savior. We didn't come here this morning to get excited about some prophet and some book that some man made up. We came here this morning to celebrate the preeminent Savior who is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. There is nothing too hard for Him. The Bible says in Colossians 1.18 that He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... I love everything. In everything, He might be preeminent. That's the Savior we've come to serve this morning. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, Then He, Jesus, the preeminent Savior, He came and touched the open coffin. First of all, a Jewish man would never, ever in a million years touch a coffin. Because the Bible says in Numbers chapter 19 that for a Jew to touch an open coffin makes him ceremonial unclean. In other words, he's defiled. No one, they wouldn't even go near it in case it maybe bumped into him. Jesus walks straight up to the procession. He walks straight up into the crowd and he puts his hand right on the coffin. Why? Because He wants you to see something. He wants me to understand something this morning. And listen, what do the men do who are carrying this body? They've got planks of wood, and there's this dead boy, and they're marching through the streets, and Jesus puts His hand on that coffin, and they freeze. Because they know no Jew would ever touch a coffin. But this one does. And so they stop, dead in their tracks. 
Why? Well, yes, the Bible says a Jew doesn't touch an open coffin, but here's what else the Bible says. Jesus says in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, verse uh, 13 of chapter 9, Jesus, when He's scolding the Pharisees, He quotes Hosea 6, 6 when He says, Go and learn what this means. You, teachers of the law, rulers of the law, you who are supposed to know everything about the Old Testament, well, go study Hosea 6, 6. Why don't you learn what it means? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, when it comes to mercy, mercy trumps sacrifice. In other words, you don't worry about touching a coffin. You worry about showing mercy to the brokenhearted. That's the priority. See, Jesus goes past the law and he says, listen, you need to understand what this is all about. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, that's the purpose. That's the meaning. I'm a God who comes in mercy, bringing truth. You see, Jesus is systematically doing little things to spark those who are willing to dig in His Word to see these amazing, often overlooked truths. He didn't have to touch the coffin. Luke didn't have to record that. Why is it there? So that you would recognize that Jesus came for mercy. Listen, don't... We could go all day on this one truth. Because here's the problem. We live in a day and a time where people... People want to grow close to God by ritual, by sacrifice. In other words, somehow God's pleased with you because you came to church this morning or because you did a good deed or because you put a few dollars in the offering plate or because you... And God's saying, hey, great, fine, dandy. But you know what this is about? Mercy. It's about mercy. Listen, all the things you do are worth zero if your heart is hard and dead and cold towards your brother and sister in Christ or even more so towards the lost neighbor across the street. Jesus says, I've come to bring sinners to repentance. And how am I going to do that? Through mercy. The ministry of mercy. You see, every time Jesus raises someone from the dead in Scripture... He always does it the exact same way. You see, the Bible tells stories about Jesus healing the blind. And there's a story where Jesus takes some dirt and spits in it and makes mud and puts it on their eyes and they can see. There's a story where Jesus sends ten lepers to go and show themselves to the priests and then they're healed. So Jesus heals in a multitude of ways. Sometimes He just does it Himself. Sometimes He uses other means and mechanisms. But when it comes to resurrection, He never uses any other thing but His spoken Word. And there's a reason for that. Because God doesn't want you to get confused about whose power resurrection power is. He doesn't want you to start making mud or to start going to the priest or to start doing these other things to try to get what you want out of God. He's like, no, no, it's my word, the spoken word of God that raises people from the dead. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the boy Wakes up. Jesus speaks. The boy hears. Is that astonishing to you? Well, in a sense, it ought not be. Here's why. Because though the body is dead, the soul is alive. You see, no soul dies. No matter who you are, no matter what loved ones you've lost, their soul, newsflash, is alive today. Somewhere. 
It's alive. Only the body dies. And so because the soul lives, when Jesus speaks, the soul hears. It wouldn't matter if it was dead. It would hear anyway because Jesus would make it so. But the point is, is that the soul is alive. And Jesus says to the soul, arise. And the soul arises. Arises. Just with the the speaking of his voice. Every dead person's soul lives somewhere. So don't be confused that when you hear someone like me saying that the choice of Jesus is the choice between life and death, it is the choice between life and death. But the death to which we speak of is a living, ongoing, eternal death. You don't die. You live every second of every day in hell. And that ought to just settle us for a moment about the people we know and love who do not know the Lord as Savior. But I want you to think about His Word. Think about what the Bible teaches about His Word. The Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. Here comes words with like the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. And then all who are still alive, who remain, shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will be with Him always and forever. In other words, the Word of God, in an instant, there's going to be a shout, there's going to be a voice, there's going to be a quake. Boom! We're with God forever in that instant. The dead in Christ, their souls will hear. They will respond. All who are Christ will come to Him. In that moment, by the simple act of His voice. So verse 15 says, That he who was dead sat up and began to speak. Now, I want to know what he said. I'm, I'm just trying to picture the scene. Here's this funeral. And everything's horrible. And they're just marching along. And the widow's just bawling her eyes out. And suddenly Jesus shows up. And the boy pops up out of the casket. And he's looking around. And he probably said, Man, I'm hungry. He probably said, Mom... What are you so upset about? What are all these people doing? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, I want to know. I want to get to heaven and say, Luke, you left out some details here, brother. I want to know about the funeral director. I want to know what that guy did when he got home that evening. He walks in the house. His wife says, hey, honey, how was your day at work? And he said, you're not going to believe this one. (laughs) One of my clients just popped right out of the box. I mean, this is an astonishing event. Here's this mother, eyes still filled with tears of grief. And in an instant, just in the twinkling of an eye, she's holding her son who is alive. And I mean, people are just, they're flipping out. I'm flipping out just thinking about it. They're, they're running around and screaming and shouting and thinking, what has just happened here? I'll tell you what happened. Jesus showed up. Now, now, quickly, why is this story here? Why do we need to know this? We need to know this for so many reasons. But just flip back to Luke chapter 4 real quick. I want to show you something. Luke chapter 4, verse 25. I want you to see what the Bible says. In the same book, just a few chapters earlier, I want you to see what Jesus said. Verse 25. Jesus said, I will tell you truly that there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, 
But when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but none of them was a, was Elijah sent to but Zarephath. In other words, he was sent only to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, why does Jesus just sort of let this out in Luke chapter 4? Hmm, I don't know. Now what I want you to do is flip all the way back to the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 17. If you got a pew Bible, go to page 411. I want you to see the deliberate nature of our Lord and Savior. I want you to see that He mentions this in Luke 4. He knows before the foundation of the world He's going to name. He knows exactly what He's going to do. And then in 1 Kings chapter 17, watch what happens in verse 19. This was 500 years before Jesus raised this little boy from the dead. 500 years earlier, the prophet Elijah was sent to this little remote town called Zarephath in the middle of nowhere. And guess what? By the gate of this little town in the middle of nowhere called Zarephath, the prophet Elijah encountered a widow who has a dead son. And watch what happens. First Kings 17, verse 19. And Elijah said to her, give me your son. And he took him out of her arms and he carried him up to the upper room where he was staying and he laid him on his bed. Then he cried with a loud voice. He said, oh my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times. And he cried out to the Lord and said, Oh my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Verse 22. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came back to him and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down to the upper room into the house. And the exact same phrase as Luke chapter 7 to a T the Bible says and gave him to his mother and then Elijah said see your son lives and then the woman said to Elijah now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth 500 years earlier, Jesus said, oh, by the way, remember what happened to Elijah and Zarephath? Well, guess what? In just a few days, we're going to do this again. But there's going to be a difference this time. There's going to be a same little random town. There's going to be a same little brokenhearted widow. There's going to be a same dead son. But there's going to be one enormous, unbelievable difference. That Elijah went and prayed to God and said, God, save her. Save this boy. Raise him up. And God answered. And the woman even responded and said, you must be a prophet. The word of the Lord must be in your mouth. But the Bible says in Luke chapter seven, Jesus simply said, I say, arise. He didn't ask permission. He wasn't looking for power. He didn't pray to anybody. He said, get up. And he got up because Jesus isn't a prophet. Jesus is God. And look at what the Bible says in verse 16. Fear came over all of them. And what did they do? They glorified God. And a great prophet, they said, has risen up among us, semicolon, and, quotation mark, God has visited His people. See, listen. God doesn't put anything in there for nothing. He wants us to see this morning, folks. He wants you to know and to receive. He is a deliberate, compassionate, preeminent God. And when God visits people, people are changed forever. Now, here's the question for you and me. Has God visited us. Has He visited you? 
Do you know the sound of his voice? Because he's a God that 500 years later does exactly what he set out to do, that puts together the plan exactly the way he wanted to put it together so that we could sit here in the comfort of this building, in the comfort of this time, in the comfort of this culture, and know that we are great liars. And in this room, there is broken hearts. And in this room, there are people who are apart from him. And I want you to know, not on my authority, but on his authority, he loves you. His heart is broken for you. He has a word for you. He has a healing for you and a touch for you. He wants to save you and bring you unto himself. He is a good, loving God and there is nothing too hard for him. Will you hear? Will you hear, church? Will you you rejoice like a people that God has visited? Can you hear his voice this morning? Listen, maybe... Maybe all you need this morning is for someone to just pray a word of compassion in your ear. Maybe that's all you need. You can't even begin to get into all the things that are bearing down upon you. Can I just ask you this morning that in a moment I'm going to ask you to respond. Will you respond? Will you take someone by the hand? Will you just come up here kneel down at this altar and begin to pray. And then somebody, I pray, will come up beside you and just begin to pray a word of compassion in your ear. And just without knowing what's wrong, I love you. I'm here for you. God bless them, encourage them, be with them. Because sometimes, sometimes we feel so alone in the midst of a crowd. But the truth is God knows. But listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, Please hear my voice. I'm not trying to to scare you. I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm simply trying to speak to you the truth of God's Word. Please listen to me. There is no life apart from Him. And I can give testimony of my own life and many of the lives in this room that in the moment I was saved by the Lord, my life was resurrected. And I never in a million years would have dreamed that God would bless me and care for me and teach me the way He has. And listen, you are surrounded by people in the same boat. God will resurrect your life. But apart from Him, there is no life. And it doesn't matter how good of a game you play. It doesn't matter how good you are at sacrifice. The mercy of God is dependent upon salvation through Christ alone. Would you hear His voice? Let's stand, bow our heads, and close our eyes. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, God, for the way You lead us and guide us and teach us, Lord. Father, right now, I pray for every broken heart in this room. Lord, I pray for those who carry a great burden. Lord, I pray for those who personally are just dying inside. Lord, I pray for those who carry a great burden for someone else this morning and how equally painful and hard that can be. Lord, will you rain your compassion upon this place? God, will you teach us to live as a people that God has visited? Oh, Lord, how you have 
You have challenged my heart this week through Your Word. Have I lived every day this week like someone that God has visited? Father, I know there are some here today who need You as Savior. God, like that widow, they're in their own valley. They're in their own grief. God, I pray that they would see You right now standing at the gate. You see Him. You see her. You know them. You know their grief and you know their suffering. And you're calling them unto you. Father, give them the courage to respond to you, I pray. That you and you alone may be glorified in their life in Jesus' name.